it's baked into the name, so if we hear sounds in the background, if I can edit it out, I will. If not, whatever. Okay. It's it's got to live. People cool, have to yeah. be realistic, you know. I know. Yeah, they're gonna <laughs> empty the dumpster right outside my window any minute too, so don't worry. Oh, okay. okay good. <laughs> well, welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. My name is Jay. And I am joined in studio by leper colony person, Gary. He's dying right now, if you don't know. Yeah, I have the Rona, uh, AKA the COVID. So if I uh, cough or fall over, that's why, but I made it. You made it, dude. I was super impressed. <laughs> in quarantine, in my studio. I have not left for five days. Very good. <laughs> Keeping up to the protocols. Yes. <laughs> well, today we're joined by, and I'm gonna make sure, I'm gonna try to get this right. I think it's Jetty Newenhouse, um, right? Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, it's a soft J. Yet, it's a Yeti, soft J? But the last name was Yeti. pretty close. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeti. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jetty is a public speaker, a model, and a wellness advocate, and is here to speak with us about issues around bulimia, Lyme disease, depression, body dysmorphia, overall personality disorders that can come from those types of situations is what I'm understanding. Um, but before we get started in that, I want to start with a pre-qualifier because you've lived on a dairy for about 18 years now. Is that what it was? Somewhere around there? 20 and before that in the Netherlands too. Yeah. So a long time. <laughs> Excellent. So I want to just ask a couple questions. I'll keep them, you know, they might yep. be easy, might be a little difficult, but I'm going to start out with this. Um, first, how many stomachs does a cow have? Uh, seven. Seven, okay. I think. Four? Yeah. <laughs> does four sound right? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this might backfire. Hold on a second. So I'm not even going to ask how many teeth does a cow have, because you might look at yeah, me like I'm crazy. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't know. What's the difference between a heifer and a cow? Uh, yeah, I know that one. A cow is milk. Yeah, it is a, it's an adult. Uh, it's milk, gets babies. Yep. It's the one that's actually had the uh, the calf. After that, they become yeah, milkable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, you know. Yeah. I side railed you there um, only because I, I grew up on a dairy as a kid. So I, okay, I, want, yeah. I know what that life is like, and I know it's pretty difficult, yeah. and uh, it requires yeah. a lot of um, intestinal fortitude. And I bring that up because the stuff that we're going to discuss, people are going to look at your pictures and they're not going to give you the credit that you deserve for where you live and what you're dealing with and how hard you work every day. I think that uh, it's good to set that benchmark up front that I respect the type of work that you do. I think it's salt of the earth work. And on top of that, that you're stepping outside of that box. So I just kind of wanted to open up with that because a lot of people like to discount those that are extremely, you know, beautiful because you are. I mean, that's, that's Thank fact. You. First thing I thought was uh, Wonder Woman um, when I saw <laughs> it, like you had the same expression as Wonder Woman. So I'm going to stop talking for a minute and I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Okay. Well, I really appreciate that first that you say that also about farming. I'm not milking the cows myself, but my husband does and my oldest son too. And it's, it's farming life is a lot of stress. It's a stressful life. But uh, so I, I really appreciate that, that you said that. And I'm so happy to be on here. Thank you guys to get uh, your platform to share my stories. And I'm Yeti Nunes, which is very hard to pronounce. Uh, that's why I usually go as a speaker and model by true Yeti, because it's, it's just easier, right? And I speak my truth always. I have no secrets. And I think transparency and authenticity is 
very important today and on social media. Uh, when I entered social media, I was impacted by, you know, the six pack abs and perfect lives. And, you know, my life has turned out pretty okay now, but there are always things and problems and days that you don't feel good. And that's what I share and that's what other people need to see and know. I think that's an excellent message to have. Um, and a contrast in your career and lifestyles. Because on one hand, you're the CEO of True Jetty, public speaker and advocating for these things. And on the other hand, you are working on a farm. Um, how did how did you come into these two different lives? Well, first of all, I did grow up on a farm myself in the Netherlands. But I don't think my dad really, he's not around anymore, but he did not really like that life. But it was, you know, at that time, I have very old parents. They were 44 when they got me. So different, different generation. He was kind of forced into farming. And he also had PTSD from a colonial European war. And so he didn't love farming. I grew up in a farm. I did not love it. I actually, if I could use the word hate, I hated it. And I always wanted a different life. And so I went to a good school, you know, I had always people in front of me that I was like, okay, that's how I want to, that's how I want to live life or I want to better myself. But then I met a guy in a bar, in a round bar actually. And we really, uh, he was the first person in my life that treated me really, really well and have ever done so. And I was, yeah, I was sold and, and he, he was a farmer and basically the first thing we said to each other, because I had studied law in, in Amsterdam, but I, I dropped out. But, uh, the first thing we said was, okay, I'm not going to be a typical farm wife. And he said, well, I'm not going to do anything else, Ooh, anything else than farming. I love, I love farming. And, uh, that's how, and then he had a pretty modern farm, modern parents. And that's how I rolled into it. I'm going to date myself yeah. really bad, but this this just reeks of green acres. You know, like some opposites attract yeah. kind of thing. But I feel like there's a lot of destiny involved here. Because you, you know, growing up on a dairy in the uh, the Netherlands, you have to understand the struggles that come with the cyclical mm -hmm. nature of raising bovines and, you know, dairy cows with milking issues. And do we have enough to sustain our income over this period of time? if we lose X or if you have to purchase X, a lot of people don't understand the intricacies of the small dairy farm and what it takes to, to keep it thriving. I grew up next to a dairy queen. Oh, yeah. I love that one too. <laughs> it was nice. I love that. I love the ice cream. Yeah. We couldn't wait till it, uh, it opened every year when it got warm. Yeah. It was nice. Is that what it does up there? Just trying to relate with you guys. In Florida. It's a 24 seven <laughs> thing here. Oh yeah. Yeah. Here too in Canada, even though it gets freezing. We still eat ice cream, it right? It's Canada. Yeah. I yeah. can't imagine not having a smile on my face and eating ice cream or something like that in Canada. Like I there's know. nothing, <laughs> there's no reason to be upset. It should come with ice cream. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And good yeah. for your business. People are happy yeah. in Canada. Yeah. There's something yeah. to be said about that. Um, I think that when you're in that environment of people that have a mutually happy demeanor or understanding or empathetic personality. It's kind of like a pot of water. I think I've used this analogy, a lot of boiling water in other places. So say like Florida, 
you can take somebody from Canada and drop them into Florida and it won't be long before they start boiling like the rest of the water. And then vice versa, when you visit Canada, you can feel almost a sigh of relief for the lack of judgment and the the open-mindedness of anybody and everybody. When you walk through, you feel like you're welcomed. And I think that there's a lot to be said about that. It's that whole do unto others thing. I was thinking about that this morning. And I don't think that means just kind acts and things like that. I think it's how you approach people. If you approach people with openness, they're going to return it no matter where they're from, unless they're really trying to hide something. And I feel like Canada embraces that, that if you welcome people, they'll welcome you. Yeah, I heard you say something funny about Canadians in one of your other shows too. Oh, did I? They're super <laughs> nice, super nice and weird. And I was like, yeah, kind of, we, we, we are, but we're such a multicultural uh, pot of people. And I and love that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it turned, it turned out good. And, and indeed, uh, you know, when you walk, when you want to cross the street, people stop for you, uh, when you're, for example, Europe or New York, even when you walk on the sidewalk, you get run over. Um, and, and people are just, uh, when I moved here, uh, that was the kindness. And I was like, what is this? Like, I, I, yeah, it was le- kind of overwhelming. Yeah. But. Well- we have problems like any other country these days. <laughs> of course, of course. But that had to be yeah. a shock considering that you come from a Dutch background, German area. It's a different personality. It's um, yes. very hands-off rearing. And, uh, you know, it seems like this, everything's guarded constantly. It was always, uh, I don't want to say cold. I'm trying to dance around certain words yeah. because it's not. Ooh. It's a different manner of interacting with people. The love is implied kind of, I feel like in, in those, in those areas. And I can see how it would be different to have people openly approaching you with their kindness versus it being like a virtue in the background of the other culture. Is that kind of where I'm, where Uh, I'm? It's, yeah, it's, it's amazing that you say that because I was actually this May, I was in Berlin and uh, my, my boy turned 21. So I took him, it was kind of for his birthday. And I felt, uh, I, I, I don't know, I felt this secrecy. Mm. It, it almost gave me anxiety, that whole feeling of the whole country. It's, I, I cannot bring it into words, but I felt when I landed in Canada again, I was like, like uh, a relief. And I was also in the Netherlands and it's very criminal, you know, people, I was, we were traveling by train and people are hopping on the train to try to steal your luggage. That's their jobs. And I know that because I grew up there, but like American tourists, they don't know that. And they are, they are the target and, or other Canadian or whatever tourists, but it, it's just sick. Right. It's, and then I, I was landing in Calgary and I was like, oh, I can leave my suitcase here and walk over there. No worry. You know, it was, but that, that feeling, yeah, it was a weird feeling. It's like an energetic illness when you land in a yes, place that has energetic. that. Yeah. And I like to compare it to the, the mask scenario. I think that Canadians in general don't wear masks. And I feel like the rest of the world does. <laughs> And a lot of, I mean, people do, uh, obviously yeah. I'm, I'm speaking very generally, but for the most part, I've found that you, you get what you get when you meet someone from there. And 
it's uncomfortable when you come from that environment and you go to a new one where the status quo is a mask. It is, what are you thinking of me? How can I, you know, adjust what I'm doing in the moment so that you perceive me in a different light? It says a lot. So when you get in that environment, it can be very overwhelming. You get that energetic mm -hmm. push. Everybody is on guard. So it makes you feel them on guard. It's not a good feeling when you jump into those environments. I was going to say, I think a lot of it's perception. Um, the first place I ever went out of the country was Amsterdam uh, in 2000. And I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, which is a very like, I don't know, not a very cultural place. And I was amazed when I got to Amsterdam at like people talking about art and history, like in different, you know, the way that they, it's hard to explain, you know, like I went there to smoke weed because I was 20 years old. <laughs> yeah. And then instantly, like I was in museums and in art museums and like learning things for fun, not just because you had to, which up to that point, like you were in school. And I thought it was just like, you know, I did get robbed within four minutes of being there. Of course you did. He's a calamity. At a video camera, yeah, I came up. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, I'm I'm from the hood, and I was my mom told me that she read all this stuff on the internet, which wasn't even a thing in 2000, really the internet. But about getting a, one of those belts, I'm like, I don't know going to rob <laughs> me. You know, but like uh, the ones that you yeah, hide yeah. underneath, like they're like flat. Oh, okay. So I'm like videotaping, and this guy comes and grabs the two zippers on my backpack from behind and just breaches his hand in. You know, so I crack him and knock him down and I'm beating the shit out of him and I get tackled, you know, by the police or whatever. And luckily this lady comes up that spoke Dutch or, and she was explained to the police what happened because I was just on top of this guy nailing him because he took my wallet, and my passport and everything. And that's just my natural reaction, you know, and I was like, ah, oh, they're just like, go back to the airport because um, I actually only had a four hour layover and I was going to Sweden and meeting my Swedish friends and then coming back to Amsterdam, you know, a week later. Because then I ended up at the airport getting drunk and missing like four flights. And I had no idea how to travel at that time. Um, but I've been back. Yeah, I was 20. And, you know, I'd been to like the Bahamas once, I think. That's the only place like outside of the country I went, you know, and Canada. But like Windsor, which is basically Detroit. Um, you know, so at the time, Amsterdam was this crazy place. And I've been back a bunch of times since. And I think it's just like perception of, you know, where you're from and, you know, when I go to Canada, I've been in some rough parts of Toronto before, and they seem like the hood in New York. And then I've been to like Edmonton and places like that that seem like the cleanest, most nice, safe place that you've ever been. And like I could lay a thousand dollars on the ground, walk in and get something neat and come back and it would just still be sitting there. You know, it's almost like two realities. And mm -hmm. it, it all takes the background of the person before they set foot on the land that they're standing in, because I could stand in the same place as you and say we're in Toronto and you're looking at all the things that are hood related, you know, in that particular scenario. Whereas I grew up in a dairy in the middle of nowhere and I'm looking at the buildings. I'm looking at, you know, wow, they have like a sign over here that actually talks about this. This is super cool. And it's, it's all about what you focus on versus, you know, where you're at. I feel like that's why we get so many answers in an investigation from a police officer, from so many bystanders, because everybody's got their own set of lenses that they're filtering things through, and they're not going to get the same answer. And I hope that uh, during your time back in the Netherlands that you did get a chance to assimilate to where you were, maybe with family and things like that, and not be as uh, overwhelmed with how Germany and that whole area was when you were there. Because, I mean, that's, that's home, too. Yeah. 
Germany's the same though. I felt the same way she did. Like Germany's got this weird feeling of like, it's not warm. Mm -hmm. It's not like, I mean, I think the people are nice, but they're not like, I don't know. It's, it's very hard to describe. Like you're talking to someone and they're just like looking at you. Like they're looking Bro. through the it, back. One word, skeptical. Yeah, maybe. I feel like anytime I talk to somebody from Germany, as they're listening to me, they're skeptical of what I'm saying. And I don't know if that's not a manifestation of my own insecurities when standing there, but I've always had kind of that, do they think I'm full of shit right now? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a completely different different culture. And, and I mean, there's so much history, of course. And, and my parents and my husband's parents have lived through all that. So I'm... I'm maybe a little bit judgmental too, but I do agree about your lens that you live life through. And when I lived in Europe, I had that mask partly too. Amsterdam is a totally different story. I love Amsterdam. It's very open, culture, cultural. And people in the Netherlands always look at Amsterdam versus Netherlands. Uh, because sense. in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam, people are, they have a big mouth and they say the truth, which oftentimes other people don't like, right? They like it filtered and soft. And so I had a mask too. And when I, if I was not living in Canada, I would probably not be doing and have the guts and, and believe in myself unfiltered. Like I, in the Netherlands, I would have all that judgment still from, I don't know, it would be very different. There's a certain amount of solitude in farming and location. And I feel like the longer that uh, I've been on my own career path, because I'm, you're right, I wore masks as well um, throughout the different careers that I had, but I feel like the longer that you spend time with yourself, and I'm not talking about thinking about where you're not, I just mean simply thinking about who you are and where you are, and the ability to, let's say, walk around your own home and dance like an idiot, or, you know, make a cartoon voice because you heard something on the TV in the background or whatever it is. There's a certain amount of freedom in that. And the longer you do it, the more you become your own authentic person again. I feel like we become children in that moment. I loved a lot of the things that you have on your, your website and your speech and, and things like that. The, your speaking, sorry. In that it seems to be centered around a lot of authenticity. Right. And that uh, my philosophy is you're born one way and to be anything other than that is a slap in the face of whomever or whatever created you. And I want to ask that authenticity is missing. I feel like a lot in the social media influencer yeah. world. And you are, in fact, an influencer and a, a very, a very good one. How do you find yourself navigating the inauthenticity when you have the message that you have? Uh, well, I call myself the rebel influencer uh, and, you know, I, I have a little bit of trouble with the word influencer. You know, I've thought about how can I change that maybe, but because I'm sort of an educator and I happen to love fashion and beauty and I always have, and, but, but, you know, honestly, I don't scroll for hours over Instagram. I have strict boundaries before I started my brand four years ago i actually was off social media for six months i i deleted everything and i couldn't see it and then i was like hmm i know now how to deal with this and i love social media i love it but i also love change you know i love to be the start of somebody changing something and start to think for themselves 
So I don't scroll over Instagram. I only follow people that are like-minded and are supporting me and I'm supporting them. Really, my goal is to push my message through of think for yourself, create your own life, put your mask down, be yourself, be that child again, because I believe too that we were born a certain free way uh, that, and then we are programmed by parents, siblings, schools, whatever, and uh, that we can return to that. Like you said, we can return to that child. And I, I feel I am. Um, we're allowed I, to. I, I am that now. Yeah, we're allowed to. And to be happy, I think we have to. Yeah. The biggest. I agree fallacy that we were sold is that we're not allowed to remain children in this life. That's bullshit. Doesn't mean you don't have to be responsible, but I'll be damned if I don't want to run around the room and high five my friends because something stupid happened. That's, that's who I want to be. And I don't want to be around people that don't want to do that because they're not ready yet. They're not ready for my circle of friends. You know, they can, they'll be my friend, but they're not going to be in there until they're ready. You know, that's a special safe zone that you live in because that's what you're describing. Same thing with social media, same pot of water, boiling. You drop yourself into social media, you'll boil. Facebook is, a, is notorious for that. You want to watch your friend, you know, evolve in seconds? Let them sit in some comment threads for about a month in Facebook and you won't recognize them. They will boil like the rest of the water that they sat in. And it's like soup. You can't remove ingredients. Once it's in there, it's fucking in there. It's there for yeah. life. Yeah. I get told to grow up constantly. And when people stop telling me to grow up, I know then I have a problem. You know, like constantly. I have family members that say, when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to grow up? I'm like, not going to. <laughs> I, I like just, that they say a real job. Why would I do that? Like an executive producer for ESPN is not like something that you say is not a real job. Because I, I don't hate my life. I think like a job like means you have to go somewhere yeah. you hate and then like work for the They're weekend, just upset. you know, and like I have fun and I travel and I do this for a living and I meet cool people that also feel the same way. And I mean, my bills are paid and I enjoy my life. And I, this room is what it would be like if I was 14 years old with my parents' credit card. So that's, you know, how I want to live. And I think when people stop telling me to grow up, then I need to figure something out because that's when I've gone astray. Mm -hmm. I needed to get back to that so. myself personally. I followed all the rules from the, you know, when you're poor, you're given different um, goals, i.e. materialism is going to be the first one that gives you your personal satisfaction because you don't know any different. Um, so you go after things, you grab things, you look for status symbols because status symbols are easier to achieve than lineage or, you know, a good upbringing or something like that. And you know, you invest money in haircuts and clothes and hats and, you know, shoes or whatever, but not for the reasons that you like to collect them or you enjoy them, but for the simple fact that you want the people around you to love you because you happen to have a hat that they like. You won't say that out loud. And then I went through and I did the army thing for a little while, you know, and uh, learned some great things. It gave me, you know, some stability and backbone that I wouldn't have had in the beginning, but not necessarily a, a continued life for me. I did the corporate world. I did the college thing at night. I got all those degrees and I traveled around the world and I'm running operations in other countries. And I hated every single moment of my life on paper. I did it. I left a house with no refrigerator half the time, or, you know, the front door was boarded shut. 
And everybody always says, oh, well, you know, that means that you should be happy. You've got a, you know, a new car, you got a new house, you got these things. They, they, they look at you from the outside in with envy, which is what they were doing with you, with your job, because of the freedom that you have exercised and the decision to make that jump or that leap of faith that they're unwilling to make. They chose their character. Their character is Cubicle Man. And Cubicle Man hates everybody that's not Cubicle Man. That's just how it works. And you're not going to be happy by taking on all those masks and all those roles that you've been sold, those fallacies that say you can't be a kid anymore. You just won't. And until I realized that, I couldn't even begin to start the journey that I'm on. And I think we need examples like yourself that take those hurdles and trials and tribulations in life and turn them into a positive message because your messages are around some very, very important items like bulimia and Lyme disease and depression. Can you tell us what a struggle with bulimia looks like, how you've worked with it? Because it's not a cured disease or issue or mental health problem. In fact, it's just part of all the other ones. However, I think that that's one that we struggle with a lot today, especially with social media. Yeah, you know, at the root of it was body uh, dysmorphia. I believed somehow as a seven-year-old child that I was big and I wasn't. When I look at pictures, I'm, I'm a skinny kid, but I had older siblings and they were always talking about diets and big hips and genetics. And so I believe that. And then at 18, the bulimia started because it was stressful. I think the reason was my best friend moved to Amsterdam already a year before me. And so I felt abandoned, which I had been before in my life, like an abandonment trauma, um, however you want to call it. So that started it and, and it kind of lingered on until I was 40 in, in periods though, you know, stressful periods, even moving to Canada brought me back to that pattern of dieting and then starting to binge eat and then purge and until I was 40 and then I still struggled with binge eating because I always felt like it's, it's so everywhere. You, you can't eat this, you can't eat meat, you can't eat gluten, you can't eat grains. All that is everywhere all the time. So I believe that. And now finally I'm, I'm free and not, uh, you know, I, I, I live pretty healthy, but I eat ice cream and pizza and I drink wine and I can, I have, the food has not, is, doesn't have any control over me anymore. And I really try to stay away from extremes. Like, you know, I, I do love lifting weights, but I cannot be around, you know, people that are, are very extreme into the fitness world because I want to live a very balanced life and I can never go back there, you know, to that. And it's just, it's everywhere uh, to, to get like a disordered. That's yeah. self-awareness. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's mindfulness at its finest. Again, I think that comes from yep. solitude and self-knowledge and self-awareness that you have to protect your mental health and your well-being so that you're good for anything yep. or everybody else in the world. And that includes not putting yourself in those pots of water like you're describing because it will wreak havoc on you. And as you start to love yourself more, you start to give yourself the respect it deserves for these situations by not attending, by not being there, by not allowing it. And there's a funny side effect to 
finding yourself and finding your own self-worth and love. And that is that the people that are not in tune with what it is that you are living in that moment, they won't fight you. It won't be, it's a, it's a weird phenomenon. It won't be some blowout that leaves them by the wayside. They just kind of atrophy. They kind of slide away and they no longer become a part of what it is. You're not in your soup anymore. Your soup is in a different pot and that ingredient is no longer a part of it. You don't hate the celery. The celery is just not in your soup, which yeah. celery sucks. So I just use that one. I've been eating soup for four <laughs> days and like all you're talking about is soup today. Like, can we talk about something else? <laughs> <laughs> no now and see that was a fatal flaw right there why would you tell me you don't want to talk about soup we've talked about because boiling you know, water and all i'll talk like about now. 43 times if i was playing the soup drinking game right now i'd be dead <laughs> covid's no joke we had it uh last month during that big I, I i caught it in a place i had no business being had i i took one for the team this year uh my wife is a huge backstreet boys fan and we got tickets through a friend with good seats and I went and there is something to be said about the collective scream of about 10,000 women at the same frequency. Your head will reverberate like seriously next day. I don't feel so good. Both of us COVID. I was like, seriously, Backstreet Boys, you know, nothing wrong with them. I love, you know, they, they're cool guys, but I couldn't get like something a little better. Like it couldn't be like, you know, a metal band or. Like, uh, you know, like I couldn't be out like roughing it or it wasn't anything like that. Yeah, to be the Backstreet Boys. I know. Yeah. I, I think, you know, getting COVID is the best, uh, is the best protection. I mean, it sucks. I feel you know, because I had it too. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. You, you can't control where you get it, but we got it in the worst places too. And I, I was like, I was in New York and then seriously, I didn't get it there. With all the crowds around me and we didn't get it for the first two and a half years of this pandemic and everything in between. Never had it until about three weeks ago. I had never had COVID in my life. Same. And then all of a sudden it's well, you know what? We say that, but a lot of us could have had it and not known we had it, just a different strain and it didn't yeah, have the exactly. same effects. Right. Yeah. You yeah. never know. You absolutely you never do know. not know. Um, I would have no. kind of shift gears a little bit because this one I did a little research before we came on because you had listed Lyme disease as something important to you. And I think that there is a lack of education around Lyme disease, at least where I'm concerned, because I'd heard it kept coming out and I'm like, why do they have such an issue with this deer tick and Lyme disease? And I was not aware of the long lasting implications of Lyme disease and how that can affect you over time. Can you explain to people what that is and why you uh, are such an advocate for it? Well, first of all, it's very underestimated. Like uh, where, where I live now, medical doctors do acknowledge the disease, but some doctors don't. And, and I know that the doctors in the Netherlands acknowledges a, a, as a real disease too. But yeah, you get it from tick bites and uh, you need antibiotics. And, and here in the area where I live, that's how I got it. But some people won't believe it, but that's the truth. <laughs> and I, I had a bull's eye rash from my tick bite, so a mark. But I had no idea what Lyme disease was, that I had even a tick. You know, I didn't take it out. But I had that mark for a couple of weeks. And 
So it was a long journey of different diagnoses. And then eventually in 2017, I got the final diagnose and it changed my life too, because I had already treated several things like chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia. I had all those symptoms, insomnia, digestive issues. And that's when, when I also started mental healing, like wait, you said, shedding people, not being around certain people anymore, finding myself being alone with myself, having not really any good friend here in Canada, really, you know, I had, I needed the aloneness, mm -hmm. but I, I was involved with an organization for Lyme disease. I was in the board here. And when COVID started, that all fell apart. All of a sudden there was no, you know, sad, you know, they're very sick people and they're not acknowledged. And I think that can be said about other illnesses too, right? But yeah, it's, it's a worldwide problem. It seems that way. And I mean, deer are native to the entire continent. So why would we assume that you can't get it anywhere? And then it mimics some of the most heinous mental illnesses that we have, you know, diagnoses for, which I don't know, I kind of live in the mindset that I believe that reality is a mental illness, but that's a whole different conversation. That said, it's got to feel so stifling to go into a doctor's office and not be heard mm -hmm. when you're talking about mental health issues as it relates to a non, you know, environmental or growing up factor or something like that. When you're saying I got bit and have bipolar, people don't like to hear that. It, it makes them very scared as to whether or not they could be that way. And it's easier to push it away and say it doesn't exist than it is to let yourself live with the caution that there's a chance that you could get bit like, you know, like Spider-Man, but not end up like Spider-Man. <laughs> so people don't believe Lyme disease exists. I'm, I'm totally in the dark on this. Like I was too. Yeah. People like doctors and like, they don't think it's yeah. real. How, how often is it yeah. in the fibromyalgia bucket? Oh, oh. And I, I've always heard of Lyme disease and never heard really, I guess I haven't studied it, but I never heard that, you know, people didn't think it's real. That sucks to have something. And then even doctors tell you that it's not real. Yeah. That's rough. Is, I, I personally have a very good doctor and who actually pushed me uh, to test and stuff even in 2017 again. But I know because I was also in the board and of course I follow other people and hear their stories and they're, they're not heard by doctors. and. And the Oda was even one time, one person that was a doctor and they were kind of circling around in my friend group. And he was, he's saying to me, you better do another Ironman that will make you healthy again. And that, that's, that's, and that, that's you a do an Ironman. What kind of prescription is that? Like if my doctor would not be in business if he told me, tried to sell me an Ironman when I went in for something. No way. <laughs> right. What an ass. Yeah, so. Doesn't I make know, no sense. I know very, yeah, obviously I never saw that person again, but it's just for, especially for other people struggling with it. And even I read the book of Yolanda Hadid. I don't know if you know her, but she's the mother of two or three famous top models, Gigi Hadid. And you may be not into that world, but she wrote a book and she tells about people not believing her and all that stuff and that, that's yeah that's just not being seen not being heard right and i can't help but bring up uh we had a uh, past guest rachel mcdonald and this has a very similar 
bring to her story, but not the same situation. And that is that she had suffered from chronic endometriosis from childhood. And as she grew up with this chronic pain associated with it and the misdiagnoses and, and these types of things, she came to a juncture where in order for her to live pain-free, she had to have, you know, a hysterectomy, which would give her the ability to live life, you know, on her terms. And she was forced into a lot of situations where people didn't, A, believe her, um, women telling her that it's just her, you know, menstrual cycle and that she needs to suck it up and things like that. And she explained how hard it was not having a voice when you were sitting there speaking about your own reality. The fact that somebody could be so arrogant as to believe that they know your reality and your body and who you are better, um, I think is, I mean, well, I'm basically giving a PSA for you need to have the right relationship with your doctor so that, you know, you can, you can be heard. But in her case, she had to get legal assistance. She had to go up against a board. She had to sign a release saying she would, because they were telling her she wasn't going to be a woman. Like if you, if you had this done at that age, you're never going to fulfill your life's purpose or some BS. Um, from both male and female doctors. I brought that up because it just, it sounds very familiar. And I think it speaks to the fact that we do need to have that relationship with our healthcare providers and screen them just as hard as you would for anything else that you do in life. Not just scrolling through Google for the first one that's closest to your house. Yeah, I think that's what people do. They just go to the closest doctor and think they're all kind of created equal. Or it has four stars or five stars. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people that don't get five stars with other people. They get five stars with me. Yeah, I think it, it's all about relationship building. Like it, it's with everything in life, right? But not being not being seen. Uh, yeah, what when you said about that uh, other guest, yeah, that, that makes me emotional, you know, and I almost feel like it was hard. You know, I want to cry because somebody is not taking you seriously. And I've, I've seen it with people around me too, you know, not only doctors and that really, but, but it was at the same time, it was the start of my growth journey, you know, my personal growth, finding myself and saying, you know, everybody else just fuck it. I'm going to now live my life. And, and yeah, I do still have symptoms from that Lyme disease really damage my body, but I can live with it and I can have fun. And <laughs> Well, here's the reality. You have to. So you yeah. can either accept the fact that that is your new yeah. baseline in life, or you can sit there and hate a portion of yourself. Who wants to hate one eighth of their body, you know, or one eighth of their self, and, you know, for one reason, not to mention the other slices of the pie. And I think that's a good segue into, you spoke about weight labels, the weight of labels, sorry. And that resonated with me a lot because I think that with social media and the way that we like to stigmatize things, that labels can become your reality. I, I heard somebody say once that they had been cursed and it resonated with me because I read later that it said that a curse is just an utterance. And that made me think that if somebody tells me I look like something or I am something or I should be ashamed or whatever that label is that they're sticking to me is a curse, but the curse can be broken by simply not letting it be my reality and let it be that the curse is theirs that they're putting out there alone. 
The fact that they're spewing this nonsense has nothing to do with me. And the moment that we take those labels and we start to look at them as, you know, what they truly are, and that is the weakness of the person that's placing it on you, then we don't have an issue with people. We treat them with the empathy they deserve because essentially when you're throwing out those labels, you're speaking from a straight jacket and the sleeves are tied with whatever you think of yourself. And we need to treat people in that manner rather than get pissed at them. We need to start looking at people like they've got three heads when they say something like that. How long before you stop saying things like that? If you just make it the status quo that the fuck are you saying? Like, uh, huh? Like people will, you will change your tune. So in your influencer, which you don't like your educator world, we'll say educator world in your educator <laughs> world. How have you overcome labels and how would you suggest to other people how they could overcome labels in that environment? Um, well, being alone, <laughs> finding myself and discovering what I really wanted, who I am and what is important to me. You know, I ask myself every day, okay, what do I need today? What do uh, well, I need to feel safe? And so that's where boundaries come into place. Uh, a lot of education of, you know, people that resonate with me and that might be very much different than somebody else, right? They will resonate with different coaches, healers, mentors. Exactly. But, you know, when I deal with certain things or I'm bothered with something, I just go, well, people watch YouTube and what's some of my mentors with some empowering messages and that I can implement and make me stronger. Uh, because, yeah, I, I attracted a lot of narcissists in my life. Mm. Um, and, and they were mostly come in friends forums. And because I'm very empathic and, you know, I, I always gave too much of myself. And then that self-awareness, becoming aware mm -hmm. of what you have to stop doing and you will get lessons. I get tested all the time until I pass the test or I do. But you recognize that it's a test. That's the difference. Not as your reality and a mood or a demeanor. You recognize it for what it is. It's a test in the moment. Yeah. Sorry, I had to point that out. And, and I put, yeah, yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah, and I see it as a strength. I'm not like, well, in a moment, I'm like, really? Like, effort. Like, but I'm not like, this is happening to me. No, this is happening for me to get to the next level and to become stronger. And I usually write it down. I'm, I'm not really a journaler, you know, or like, oh, you have to meditate. You have to do this, this, this. No, I, but I do write certain things down. That is meditation, by the way. That's meditation. Writing things down is meditation. There's so many different forms. Gary and I talk about this. There's so many different forms. There, there really is. Yeah. I mean, there's documented yeah. forms. There's walking meditation that focuses on movements. Yeah. There's, you know, Tai Chi. There's sports. There's, you know, if you're boxing and you're hitting a heavy bag and you're mindful in that it's moment, nice you're meditating. Meditation. Everybody's got their own form. So I, I give yeah. yourself the credit for the meditation. Give yourself like one little tick mark up there. You're meditating. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So yeah, I think it's important for somebody to find what resonates with them and, and just go really slow and be gentle and, and also understand that it's an ongoing thing. You will never be on the other side. You're here now and you grow 
hopefully every day a little. And the hardest part for me always is enjoying now, you know, and not looking for that big trophy that's there and just to focus on now and, 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 and on how far you've come. And those can be the littlest, smallest thing that can be the biggest victory that you have to celebrate and embrace and, and stand up tall with all your scars and be proud. You know, look at it. Hey, this is me and I'm strong because of it. I love that. You know, make now your trophy versus the, you know, something that you're looking yeah. for. If you treat now like your trophy, because it is, it's funny. There's no such thing as the future and there's no such thing as the past. And we're only living in the now, yet we deify and glorify something that doesn't exist yet. And we don't look around, like you said, we have a trouble taking in our surroundings and being grateful. That was one of the biggest things for me was recognizing that I was not being grateful in life, that I was not giving things the credit for what they were in my existence. That's friends, that's family. And that's also the most minuscule things on the planet. I found myself standing in the shower one day looking at a piece of tile and it was like, it was like in a shell shape. And I tried to think about it for a moment. This is, you know, during my beginning points of trying to become mindful and, and trying to practice gratitude and things like that. And gave myself a story behind that, you know, that somebody, you know, spent time learning how to work with concrete, that learned how to put together designs that made that one that day. That was the one that his boss chose. That was the one that he got a raise for. That was the one that his wife and himself were able to have the kid that they've been waiting to have because now they had extra money. And that's so much that you can't not be grateful. You shouldn't, you know, you, if you look at the infinitesimal items and give them the credit they're deserved of, you wouldn't be ungrateful for now. And I just try to recognize that and be grateful for the fact that we have so much in our lives to be grateful for. The journey's everything. You know, people love a good road trip. You, if you could snap your fingers and be to where you're going, that's not fun. You know, like the journey's everything. If, if I win a bunch of Emmys one day, you know, I've been nominated for one, I haven't won one. I wouldn't want to just win that shit and have never worked my way through 22 years and the experiences and working with great people and fucking up and fixing it and trying harder and telling different stories. I wouldn't want to just somebody give me an Emmy award or, and it's not even the award, you know, that the award will be a culmination of all the things that I've done to get there. You know, it's been in the shit with my friends for 18 hour days and, and trying to pull some together and the camera's broken and the audio's not working and you know, that we don't have any lights and we got to figure it out and the power's out. So we got to run it off a car battery. And, you know, like that's the shit that I'll remember, not just like standing up there in some stupid suit that I hate getting an award. But that's the shot you yeah. feel when you're watching something. I firmly believe that the one that you put the most intensity into, the most effort into creating, the, the one that you love the most, no matter how minuscule that shot might be, Within all of it, somebody, I truly believe that you feel the emotion behind the person that created it. That's why art stands the test of time. It's the most mindful moments are the ones that resonate with us, despite whether or not the person is there for us to enjoy it together with them. The Mona Lisa. Yes. You only paint it once and it will always resonate with everybody that stands in front of it, whether they like it or not, even if they're making yeah. fun of it. We still know Kirk, what it is. The Kirk Cobain's, the Bob Marley's, the Amy Winehouse's, you name it. They didn't have two yep. parents that were accountants and they didn't go to a good college and then, you know, marry their high school sweetheart and hunky dory at the white picket fence. You know, tell me the great artists of all time that had that story where nothing ever happened to them, nothing bad. They never overcame anything. There was never a struggle. I can't remember one time I've heard that story. Maybe they exist, but 
the shit that matters is like overcame, you know, got through it, influenced others, were influenced by others and paid it forward. I think that's the beauty of life. Um, and like you said about the scars, I have scars on my face, on my knuckles, on my heart, you name it. But those scars, those were the stories that got me to, you know, where it is that I am. I'm nowhere near where I want to be, but, and I'm going to have a lot of more, you know, scars till I get there. But those come from trying. If you don't jump off something, then you don't know if you're going to land it right or not. You're not going to get any scars. But you yeah. jump. And the hate that you get from other people is their fear of the yeah. jump. It's easier to make fun of you for jumping than it is to jump yourself. So I say it all the time. I push people in the pool all the time. They might hate me for it. You do, you know? man. I love I'll, it. I'll jump in and grab you if you start drowning, but I'm going to let you try to swim first. You know, if I feel, you know, sometimes it's not my business to do so and I get in shit for that too, but. I feel like somebody really is just on the edge and, and there's something great that could happen, but they just don't have the guts to do it. I'll kick their ass in there and see what happens. And more times than not, it works out. So that's my. Because it's lack of self-confidence in these situations. You're very good at recognizing the talent and the potential in people that they don't recognize in themselves. And you give them that key. Yours is just a very abrupt. <laughs> it just <laughs> kick them right in the pool. But I get exactly what you're saying. There's person. a talent to that. There's a reason why you're Emmy nominated. It's because you recognize people in situations you put together good productions. There's a lot to be said. Getting punched about in that. the face isn't that bad, but until you get punched in the face, once that fear of getting punched in the face is crippling, right? Like then you get cracked, it heals up, and you feel fine the next day, right? You know. But that sitting there at three o'clock and bell's gonna tick, and you gotta fight someone for the first time, you're shit in your pants. And then you get through it, and it's fine. You know. And I've just seen so many people get punched in the face. That's everything. You know? So. I know it'll be fine. They don't know all the time. And the key is to get through yeah. it. The key is to get through it. That's um, that rope analogy, where as you go through experiences in life, you got a choice. You can either tie them in a knot or you can move on forward and live through it, right? And the more that you don't live through, the more knots you get in your rope. And what happens to a rope full of knots? Can't do shit. It's just a big pile of knots. And until you sit your ass down and untie your knots, you're not going to be functional. It's just the way it is. That's the only way I can simplify that. It's soup. Is you have to have those experiences. Something about soup, too. Some knots take longer to untie. And something about soup, too, right? <laughs> yeah, and soup. Don't, don't tangle your rope in the soup. <laughs> Never dip your rope in the soup. <laughs> uh, I have a question. How did you end up in Canada from the Netherlands? Uh, well, it, it apparently was a secret uh, childhood dream of my husband to farm in Canada. So it started as a vacation, like a road trip mm -hmm. from Vancouver to Calgary. And, oh, I loved the mountains and we, we loved Canada. But I said to my husband, don't think after this trip that we're going to move there because a lot of Dutch farmers live here. I was like, don't think I'm moving. But when I was here... I've sold and we listened to three doors down. We had one tape in our car and it was just out then and Tracy Chapman. And that's, and that music that's still, you know, oh, I love Tracy oh, Chapman. She's fantastic. And my husband never heard of her, but then he loved it too. And that, that's the first memories. And that's how we ended up here. That's beautiful. Thank you. Now I'm a little emotional. I can feel that. It sounds like you found your home at yeah. the same time together. Yeah, we did. And that's, that's hard to find depending on where you come from, whether it's an unstable environment or a different country. When we venture away from where we come from, it's very hard to find our home. But once we realize that our home is wherever we are and who we surround ourselves with, then, you know, we can truly feel at peace where yep. we are. 
Tracy Chapman, yep. Cleveland, Ohio. Just going to put that out there. Okay. Oh, she, she's from Cleveland? <laughs> okay. Awesome. I don't doubt it. She's got a lot of soul. She's got a lot of, a lot of grit. I love her. Love yeah. her. Well, I could sit here and talk to you forever, Yeti. I really could. But I think that uh, this is probably a good place to uh, Please do. pause. You're welcome to come back any okay. time. Um, I've, I've had a, uh, a fabulous yeah. time talking with you. You're very peaceful. I feel like you're like a walking Zoloft. I feel calm now. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, do you uh, do you have anything you want to ask as we uh, wrap up? I would definitely like you to come back when my brain's working because I have a million questions that I didn't get to. But that's because I um, talk too much. That too, and the soup thing. We just spent so much time on soup. But no, <laughs> um, yeah, I just uh, the whole labels thing. Um, you know that we hit on and not wanting to be an influencer or, or that label. And I have a lot of people I manage that are athletes and artists that also don't want to be influencers, but they are. Um, I, I like when people like you don't want to be an influencer, but are recognized as one because the more that people like you can be an influencer, the less we have to deal with the influencers that, mm. you know, that's a negative thing because the negative influencers are ones that are pushed to the front and that, you have to be perfect and you have to do these certain things. And you have to be this, you know, this model of a human being when everybody gets influenced from all different things. Someone's going to relate to you all differently than Kim Kardashian or, you know, a, a famous athlete that's six, five, you know, 210 pounds ripped. And, you know, they have the worst problems of anybody in the world, but you never see that because they don't hard to maintain that mass. Thinks there's this, yeah, mm -hmm. there's this perfect life for all these people. And then you watch it crumble you know, on TMZ and it's never, you know, and people are thinking their life sucks because it's not like that, but everybody's life's like that. Everybody's got problems and issues and family stuff and internal stuff. And, you know, everyone's got some sort of mental illness, whether they want to admit it or not, there's something they don't so like true. about themselves or there's something they need to get through. Or, um, and I think the more people that put it out there, whether they're, you know, categorized as an influencer or not, the better, because people are going to watch this and they'll have gone through similar things that you have and be like, shit, you know, like she's up there in the middle of nowhere in Canada into in, in fashion and into these types of things that, wow, I could do the same thing. Or he's down there in Florida, you know, it's hot down there, but eat soup every day, like 10 different <laughs> times a day. You know, it's like, you know, we all, we all have soup. Okay. I grew up poor, man. Soup is cheap. I had a lot of soup yeah, as a kid. And, and once you put stuff in there, you can't get it out or something. You love it. Boiling water. <laughs> but uh, he's the bitter. more the better bitter people like you out there. Days. He's sending text messages so from the soup. bathtub. He's <laughs> so much soup. <laughs> but the more of it, anytime you want to come on here or if there's any way that we could help get your message out there, you know, we're all about it. And uh, I have a ton of Canadian friends too. I think we've had more Canadians than Americans on this season so far. Yeah, we actually do the math. <laughs> so, we're up to that. at least four, maybe five. So yep, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, I grew up pretty close to Canada and then I know about Tim Hortons. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was with the 10th mountain division and I know that it's about 10 minutes to get through, uh, to Ottawa when you're 19 to drink, um, <laughs> from upstate New York. That's all I knew. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, thank you yeah. again. Um, we're going to list out all your information on the website. We're going to have all of your social media handles. Is there anything that you want to uh, plug before we're done where you want people to come find you um, while we're on here? We'll also have it in the show notes. Yeah, you know, just, just hop over on Instagram. I'm mostly there. 
and uh, and I would love to come back. Uh, this was a great talk, and I feel we're very aligned. Uh, you know, we you can put all different labels on us, but we speak the same language, and that's all that matters, right? Hundred percent. I agree. Hundred percent. Well, thank you so. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you, Gary. I appreciate you as well, my brother. Um, remember, everybody, thank you both. be cool and keep learning.